This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, December 5th, 2023 edition. I hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday season. I'm Justin Klein, and today, as always, I'm here to help you become a better investor, giving you data and perspective with over 20 plus years of investment experience and a lot of a lot of tools right at my fingertips, stuff that we use every day to analyze the market, analyze the economy, analyze individual companies and sectors. All of these are here ready for you and your questions. That's the most important is what is on your mind. I'm going to talk about things that are relevant to me and I, I, that I think you should know about that are uh, important to consider. But what's most important and A number one is going to be you and your questions. So I encourage you to reach out and give us a call. Now we're going to talk about the market performance today. We're going to run down some show topics right after we answer our first caller question now. Hello, Invest Talk. My name is Enrique calling from Pacific Beach. My question is, is it better to reinvest the dividends back into the stock or to get them deposited into your core account, even though if you're going to keep investing 500 to $1,000 a month. Just want to hear your take on it. Looking forward to the answer on the podcast. Thank you very much. Now, there are different ways to think about this. Back in the day when there were commission charges for buying stocks, it, was, it made a lot more sense to do dividend reinvestment. Now, what this is for everyone out there is basically if you get paid a dividend, you can choose, uh, pretty much every broker allows you to choose whether you are going to receive that cash and just going to go into the money market account or if that cash is now taken and reinvested in the stock and typically you're getting uh, the, the, the close for that particular day. Now, if you're dollar cost averaging over time, it makes sense to just take that as cat, take that as 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 uh, shares, right? And doesn't matter the price; you're just going to buy it. And sometimes it's going to be at a low price, sometimes it's going to be at a high price. But the dividend is going to be roughly the same. Hopefully, it grows over time. Now, like I said before, that made a lot more sense because you were avoiding a commission. There are no commission charges to reinvesting that dividend now. No commission charges pretty much across the board. You can be more strategic with it. Now, what we do for our clients, we take it as cash and we're able to uh, help rebalance the portfolio and reinvest it more strategically. But you have to be consistently looking at the markets, consistently thinking about the overall strategy of your portfolio and rebalancing your portfolio towards a particular target. That's what we do as professionals while we're managing individual client accounts. So if you don't do that, you don't pay attention to it very often, you just have dividend payers, and you're okay with kind of a dollar cost averaging approach over time, then I have seen no problem with doing that, right? Taking it as 
equity. So it depends on who you are and how you want to deal with dividend reinvestment. Uh, it's really more of an individualized decision. All right, now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes. And time permitting, we're going to focus on a handful of topics. So our main one is this is behind this question. Can the U.S. grow its way out of its $33 trillion-plus mountain of debt? We talked about this being an issue. We know the debt-to-GDP ratio is approaching 100%. And according to the Congressional Budget Office, that is going to continue to rise. So we're going to look at what is needed, what has happened in the past, because it's very important to understand this in historical context. And we're going to talk about the current debt-to-GDP ratio calculation, the U.S. national debt of $33 trillion, and the U.S. national debt clock, and whether that's going to turn into a national debt crisis. Also, we're going to touch on the, the lessons that can be taken from two eras. One is the current slide in ESG stocks, green energy stocks, as well as the slide in in traditional energy stocks, oil and gas, during the Trump presidency, and how this relates to investing with your political biases. So we're going to look at that. Also, Apple and Paramount are discussing bundling their streaming services. I think this is an interesting little tidbit that is part of the evolution of the bundle war, not bundle wars, the streaming wars. And are we going to go back to the cable bundle just in somewhat of a different form? So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, bonds, I don't know if you know this, U.S. bonds on track for the best month in 40 years. Sounds good, but is it? We're going to look at that in context. We also have some voice bank questions. One is regards to Verizon and the other Crown Castle. Now let's take a look at the market performance today. We've talked about recently, you've had a surge in small caps and large cap growth kind of sputtering, not really doing that well. Well, today it was kind of the opposite. Small caps certainly did the worst, down about 1.4%. Large caps did the best, only down 0.18%. Large cap growth actually did the best for uh, uh, for for once uh, since uh, the basically the Thanksgiving holiday started. Uh, but there were some big movers. Plug Power down another 11% today. But you know Amazon up 1.4, Tesla up 1.3, Apple up 2.1. So some of the large caps certainly did better than they have. Now, that is one day. We'll see if that can they can string together some some headway uh, in more than one day, right? Uh, string those uh, t- together in maybe a few days, maybe a full week. We shall see. But that was the story today. We obviously have we have the jolts number today. That was weaker than expected. Jolts is the jobs openings. That was uh, certainly a harbinger of potentially weak, a weak jobs report that's coming up on Friday. Somewhere on the 170, 180 level is what the market is expecting. We have the ADP number that will come out tomorrow that – Gives some indication of what Friday could be, but it's not a great indicator, but certainly can be a market mover. And this week is really all about the jobs data. Is the job market continuing to decelerate or maybe plateau at a lower level? 
So that will be interesting to watch as we close the week. All right, we're moving into a short break. But let me tell you about the holiday giveaway contest. We are giving away copies of autograph copies, excuse me, of Steve's book, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. It is a no-nonsense beginner's guide to the world of buying and selling stocks. And to enter the contest, all you have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as our Instagram account and like our holiday giveaway post on Instagram and tag three friends as well. We'll choose one winner each day in the month of December. Now, the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Beasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique. Love what you guys do. And you set the agenda. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Hi, Steve or Justin. I was looking to see if you could give your thoughts on either Crown Castle or American Tower. I believe they're both REITs in the Cellular Tower space, just to see if you guys had any interest in either one of those now that they've come down quite a bit from their highs. I'm interested, but still hesitant with this just because it's a REIT and you know, I know that they're looking to grow, but you know, how can one effectively grow a business that has to pay out you know, so much of its profits in a dividend? I feel like you'd have to issue either more shares or, or I guess just take on more debt. So you know, I like what these two companies are working to accomplish, but from a financial standpoint, like I want you guys to, to just dive on the financials or the fundamentals and you know, tell me if it's, it's possible for this to be a good long-term investment for either one of these. I'll listen on the show. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right, looking at Crown Castle and American Tower, and these are both REITs in the wireless tower space. And they were secular growers for a long period of time. And they were able to deploy their towers with cheap cost of capital, borrowing money, issuing some more shares, and that helped kind of consistent growth there. However, that has reversed. AMT, excuse me, uh, Crown Castle peaked a little over $200 per share back in early part of last year. Or no, was that late? Very late? Yeah, very late 2021, excuse me. And now it's it bottomed around $85 per share recently, but it's now up to 180 
15, 118. So uh, these are these are all these are both rallying. A lot of the REITs are, are rallying on lower interest rates. Remember, this is certainly a duration play to some degree. Now, American Tower it peaked around 300 in the fall of 2021, hit a low around 154 recently. Now it's at 210. So it didn't have quite the downfall as uh, as Crown Castle. Let me see here. What's the magnitude? Yeah, it was certainly Crown Castle was certainly worse uh, comparatively, and I think the main reason is that lack of growth. Crown Castle last quarter revenues fell five percent. All right, this was a secular grower. You two years ago it was growing in the mid-teens on the on the revenue side. Now it's earnings or funds from operation down thirty-seven percent last quarter, and as I said, revenue down five percent. American Tower, that's at least holding on to some top-line revenue growth, 6% uh, on that front. And I think that's the reason why it did a little bit better. However, my issue is the debt. As you said, REITs, they, can, they have to pay out a certain level of their income to maintain their REIT status. Remember, it's a pass-through entity. And it looks to me... Like American Tower is a bit more levered, a bit more levered, not dramatically so, but a bit more levered. Profitability wise, Crown Castle's certainly better. Right now, it's at twenty one and a half percent, whereas American Tower is all the way down to thirteen percent. So, I actually kind of like. Crown Castle a bit better. I think it's cheaper, has better valuation here. Um, but remember, these are both going to be duration plays because they both have a good amount of debt. Their business requires them to build infrastructure. That's what they do, right? They're building cell towers and they're renting that space to the AT&T's, Verizon's, T-Mobile's of the world uh, and around the world. It's not just here in the U.S. Uh, American Tower has uh, operations in Asia and Latin America, and you know Crown Castle is just a bit more domestic. And I kind of like that Crown Castle sticks with domestic. I think those foreign operations helps diversify American Tower, but obviously that comes with problems on the jurisdictional stamp from a dis- jurisdictional standpoint. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm picking Crown Castle, but I. I don't love either because I think long-term, if rates rise, that's going to weigh on these shares. So I think you're a little bit too late to game on this recent surge, and I would wait for a retest of the most recent lows. All right, we are headed into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Stock Voice Bank. And if you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point is set up by the story. And this question, can the U.S. grow its way out of its $33 trillion plus mountain of debt? And we're going to touch on the U.S. national debt clock and 
whether this is going to create a national debt crisis. Now, we are currently with a $33 trillion in debt. We are currently at about 98% expected by the end of this year, 98% debt to GDP ratio. We're at 97% at the end of last year. So even though we've had pretty strong economic growth, that total debt to GDP continues to go up. And a big part of that is higher interest rates. The cost of interest continues to climb throughout this year, the, the effective cost. And according to the Congressional Budget Office, we're expected at 107% of GDP by 2029. Now, for context, we have been higher over the past 100 years. Post-World War II, the public debt was at 106% in 1946, right after the war. And the big question is, will this be a wake-up call for lawmakers? Probably not. Because it's pretty clear we've gotten to this point because both sides of the aisle, they love to spend just their own, their own way. Now, how did, they, how did the government bring down the national debt after World War II? Well, the first thing they did was they had a primary surplus meaning that they still brought in more money than they spent in than they outlaid if you take out interest and what they did is they kept the cost of debt artificially low they did yield curve control they kept the 10 year kind of at 2.5% And inflation was well above that. So the real cost of debt was negative. And then you had an economic boom. Post-World War II, good demographics. Obviously, the start of the baby boom generation. And they bought homes, goods, and they boosted the U.S. GDP over the next few decades. And by the early 80s, our debt-to-GDP ratio was whittled down to roughly 30%. So it can be done. But a few things have to happen. Now, the first is, once again, keeping those debt servicing costs down. But right now, they're unsustainably high. Now, over the next year, $7.6 trillion of debt is going to mature about 31% of the total debt. And that means that's going to be refinanced at now 5 plus percent. I mean, depending on parts of the curve that they issue, obviously. But it's pretty clear that this is the path forward. And that's why I think, you know, we're, we're in the start of this rise in interest rates, right? An upward trend. But it's not going to be an upward trend like you saw, sorry, it's not going to be similar to uh, the last cycle, at least not early on, just because we can't afford that, right? You can't do a Volcker where you raise rates so dramatically to squash inflation and because it creates too big of problems. And in some ways, it can be inflationary itself because that is just a form of 
public spending. We've seen that this year. But on top of Social Security payments growing, nearly 9%, you also have people being able to earn money on their cash again, which is good for the average person. But that's inflationary. So there's a balance here. And there's going to have to be some economic growth. Now, the question is, is the push towards green energy, is that going to be enough? And I think the clear answer is no. That's not how you grow out of this. Okay. It's likely going to be, let's bring more than just green energy back. Let's bring most of our supply chains, at least high-value supply chains, back to the U.S., now, the CHIPS Act is obviously a first kind of step in that, but there are many others that are likely to come back as well. And I think that's the clearest path towards growing our way out of this debt. So it's going to take a combination of work from the Fed, which is, hey, let's keep those borrowing costs down, as well as on the government level, how do we incentivize businesses to bring their CapEx spending back to the U.S. Because there's still going to be a level of production in China because of basically sunk costs of CapEx over the last 20-plus years of developing those supply chains. But incremental new CapEx spending is likely to be back here. But if you want to supercharge it and you want to supercharge growth, that's going to need industrial policy. And we're starting that, but it's clear that we're in the early innings and more work needs to be done. Now, the next Invest Talk, we look into the story behind this headline. Fed Chair Powell admits that inflation is easing, but downplays rate cuts. Inflation is slowing steadily, but it's too early to declare victory. So we discuss this in more detail tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go talk to Mark. He is in San Jose. He wants to talk about CDs. Hello, can you hear me okay? I can, yeah. What can I do for you? Beautiful. I just transferred uh, 218,000 switch careers from my 401k. I uh, bought a house. I was putting 13% max away. Borrowed half of it, bought a house, paid that off. Mm -hmm. Quit the job. Recently transferred um, the 218 to my IRA. Mm -hmm. and I was just scared of the stock, and I was thinking about, you know, investing in something, and I was thinking about CDs, like maybe ten or 15000 
in CDs and wanted your thoughts on some good CDs. Well, as CDs to are letting it sit in there in the IRA. Yeah, well, CDs are fine. I mean, that's just a fixed income product. They have various yields and, and various maturities. Uh, they're obviously going to be safe, FDIC insured. Uh, but you can buy treasuries as well uh, and get probably better yields. Uh, you know, if you want to be conservative, CDs are fine, but treasuries are conservative as well, as long as you don't go too far out in duration. Um, I think right now, as we go into likely a rate cutting cycle, a little bit of duration is fine. You know, going out maybe three years, four years, something like that. I don't see an issue with that. I wouldn't go out too much farther than that. Um, but, you know, I, I think CDs are fine. But like I said, treasuries, you can get for a six month treasury, you can get. 5.3% for a one year you can get over 5%. Um, it just depends on what yields you are available on your platform, on that platform for your IRA. I don't know who your broker is, uh, but I would explore that as well as compare those to treasury rates because uh, both are very safe and you know you may get better rates from those uh, those treasuries. Yeah, I forgot to mention my age. I'm 50 I'm 54 mm-hmm. and um what about doing a 50-50, like 50, uh, split split 15000 uh, between Treasury and CDs as opposed to one or the other? I, I see no reason to split it. I'm just going to go with the best yield because to me the risk is the same as long as the, dur- the duration is the same. You don't plan on selling them. And that's another thing. Treasuries, you can sell if you want to. CDs, most of the time you're locked in unless you want to give up your interest that you've earned. Whereas treasuries, you can hold them. You buy a three-year treasury, sell it, hold it for a year and go sell it, right? And you're still going to get the interest that you received over that full year. So I, I think treasuries are better unless you're getting a substantial higher yield for the same maturity. Right, if you're looking at a two-year CD versus a two-year treasury, and that CD is average is, is yielding a quarter point or more higher than that treasury, then it, maybe it's willing. Maybe it's it makes sense to lock that money up a little uh, uh, over that time period for that little extra yield. But in today's world, you may not get that. So it's really about shopping around, and I look at them as the same, pretty much the same level of risk, and. I would be leaning towards treasuries over CDs. But remember, long-term, equities are going to do better. I know you're kind of in that pre-retirement phase, you know, mid-50s. Uh, so maybe your risk tolerance is low. Um, and, I, you know, so maybe you don't want to uh, buy equities. I think equities are just fine. Uh, should, could there be a pullback next early next year? Sure. Probably late first quarter is, is, is my best guess. Uh, but I wouldn't be afraid of that. Remember, this is a very important show we did. I believe it was November. I want to say 14th or something like that. And we talked about how there's only one scenario where, quote, unquote, timing the market makes sense. And that is when equities are egregiously overvalued, egregiously overvalued. And 2000 was pretty much that time where equities are egregiously overvalued. Today, I would say equities are modestly undervalued. So even if they're modestly overvalued, they're still going to do better than treasuries and CDs over the long term. So 
I've, I see this all the time. Oh, I'm scared of equities. Equities rallied. I think the mar- everyone's sentiment is really bad, right? Because of the politics or whatever you, you know, the national debt or whatever. And so many people get caught up in that mindset. And it is a mindset that will, frankly, drain you of returns over the long term. Now, can you get it right over a short period of time? Sure. But most people are scared into safer instruments to the detriment of the long-term returns. So not saying you have to go buy equities, but you should be looking for an opportunity to buy equities. Like this recent pullback this summer, that is everyone out there who maybe isn't fully invested. Those are opportunities for you to allocate more when the market's down, not when the market's up. And unfortunately, it's difficult for people to do that. So while I I won't discourage you from buying CDs or treasuries, know that kind of in the medium term, you need to think about getting that into equities over time, depending on your risk tolerance level, obviously. Uh, But short term, I'd be looking at treasuries over CDs. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, let's talk a little bit about political views. I don't, I don't get caught up in this. We try not to talk too much about politics. But what's most important for all of you out there to understand is political views, they don't have a good place in the investment world. If you bring your politics into your decision-making process, it usually is to your detriment. Now, me personally, I'm very independent. I don't belong to either party. But... It's pretty clear that when you invest according to which the way you hope the world will be, that it rarely works out, right? It's more about what the world is. And I'll bring you back to the Trump era, right? 2016, Donald Trump was elected president. And a lot of people thought oil and gas is a great place to be. Why? Because he was going to be more friendly to the oil and gas space. Well, What happened over the subsequent four years? If you'll look at the XLE, it was down. Equities were up substantially. The S&P was from 2016 to the end of his presidency. Even pre-COVID. You mean you say, oh, it's only because of COVID. No, because the XLE was basically flat from when he was inaugurated to when COVID hit. And equities broadly were up. Why? Because, yes, he was more friendly to the industry, but that created more oversupply, and that did not create more profits for the industry. So if you use your politics to say, oh, he's going to be more friendly to that space, that didn't work out. And you can say the same thing now about ESG, right? ESG stocks have been down, especially as of late especially those related to clean energy. Two of the worst performers in the S&P this year, Enphase and SolarEdge, down 60 and 70% respectively. Plug Power, one the guy called on yesterday. And I said, it's an industry that continues to burn capital. And I forgot to say this yesterday, but they warn they will not survive. I, I, I forgot about that story. 
But it's true, basically saying, hey, we're probably going bankrupt. And you have other companies from wind farm developers to NextEra Energy, which is a, you would think would be a conservative utility company, but they focus on clean energy. They're down a lot as well. And so there are some lessons here. First is debt. The companies in the oil patch during the Trump era, the ones that did the worst, those are the ones that were over-levered. And now, in the clean energy patch are those that finance these large projects. And typically, they're financed by 80, 80% with debt. So rising finance costs have a huge impact on their competitiveness. So most people didn't realize, but when you were investing in green energy, you were really making a leverage bet on the treasury market. And obviously, the treasury market, as of late, not doing so well. Second lesson, government. Government can cut both ways. Even if it looks like they're trying to help the industry, doesn't necessarily mean they will, right? That their policies are going to actually have true benefit for the companies and the industry as a whole. And the third, most important, is valuation. That if you buy the hype, you are unlikely to do very well. And a good example of that is LNG Hydrogen Economy ETF. Launched in February of 2020 and went down from the start, down 55% since. So those faddish ETFs, funds, are never a good bet. All right, let's go to Bill in Northern California. Let's talk about interest rates. Hi, Justin. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, thanks again for all your you know detailed analysis. I appreciate it. I'm interested in um, – I have a fairly large uh, brokerage account, taxable account at Vanguard. and um, I have a high proportion of money. Actually, I inherited it, so I've been investing slowly over time, just kind of last year and a half since I've received the money. And, um, but there's still quite a bit in the uh, money market, and they pay a really good yield. It's the, uh, I don't know what you, what's that called, the flush account, you know, the money that comes mm-hmm. in and out of your uh, mm-hmm. stock sales mm-hmm. goes to that. And, um, um, they pay a really high interest rate. It's gone up, you know, every time the Fed raises rates, it's gone up. It's, it's been, mm-hmm. since early in the year, it's been uh, over 5%, like 5, mm-hmm. in a, I think 5.3, but then they take out a fee for the money markets, like yep. 0.11. It's still, like, pretty high. And, and I knew eventually, you know, that's going to go down. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, I don't really understand all the intricacies of how the, the Fed rates, and if they are talking about lowering rates now, and then they're saying maybe between March and June they might be cutting rate. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of curious, is there any way to to know or to have a kind of like a good idea of how much they're going to cut and over what period of time? And do they ever announce that in advance? You know, what they're going to no. do? No. Uh, before, it used to be a surprise. Now they they pretty much will tell you. They will, they will indicate to the market that a – rate cut is coming so it, it it's it'll be pretty much priced in by the time they actually announce it so 
you'll see that rate drop because remember they're investing in kind of short-term treasuries and in fixed income securities, those with those money market accounts is what I'm talking about. So it will start to adjust downward. I have actually started to see that a little bit. Some of those money market accounts are already starting to, those yields are, are dropping slightly uh, because the market is pricing in a, a, a potential rate cut in the late first quarter, sometimes second quarter timeframe. And that's going to start having it, having an impact. And so, yes, you're getting 5% now, but if the Fed does cut rates, that's going to start l- impacting those, those money market uh, yields. How much they're going to cut? Now, typically, they, they stick with 25 basis point cuts unless there's some sort of major event, right? Something, a major credit event where they want to stem the tide, they want to calm everybody down, they want to keep everything solid and and help uh, improve sentiment, then they'll maybe do it at a more drastic pace. Uh, so if that's going to happen, that typically happens further down the line. Uh, I don't see any reason to expect a, a major problem like that in the next six months. Obviously, anything could happen, but uh, they they could do it more aggressively. Now, where that ultimately settles at settles out at will be uh, interesting, especially in this generally inflationary environment. Will you know how much will inflation come down? Does it level off back around the one percent level like it did before in previous economic slowdowns, or is it somewhere closer to two two and a half percent? In our mind and what we've seen in the data, it's probably closer to two and a half two to two and a half percent, which gives them uh, probably less room to cut. Meaning, hey, they're probably not going to be quite as aggressive on the cutting side. Um, but it, it, you won't know, right? We don't know. The market's always constantly shifting based based on economic activity or economic data as well as Fed speak and pricing that in. And you've seen that over the past month or so, kind of that shift in market expectations for uh, from a, a Fed rate potential hike by the end of the year to no hike. And now it's saying, oh, there won't be a rate, there won't be a Fed rate cut until the end of the year. Now it's saying, oh, it's probably going to be in the first half of the year. So all that will shift the the bond market and interest rates in the overall economy. Um, so yeah, no way to know. But if you want to lock in those 5% rates, that's when you want to say, maybe take the money out of the the money market and maybe go out a little bit farther, 6, 12, 18 months on the treasury curve. All right, let's go to Peter in San Jose. Let's talk about 401k. Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin and the Invest Talk team. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate all the uh, daily information, opinions, and thoughts. I love your guys' show. Uh, my, my question's on a 401k. Um, um, I, I basically have um, a target fund in my 401k and um, other options. Um, and one of the best options that um, is doing really well is a, a fund, a Fidelity Contra Fund, uh, which you're, you're probably very familiar with, um, is doing extremely well, uh, significantly well than my uh, target retirement uh, blended fund investments. I, I just wanted to hear um, the, the team's uh, thoughts on... Yeah, um, so what you're, this is what's happening. You're chasing return, right? You're com- And you're comparing apples to oranges. That, that targeted fund has a mix of assets. It has not just equities, but it also has... 
uh, bonds in there, right? So it's not going to do as well as a pure equity fund when equities are up. Now, this Fidelity Contra Fund did horrible last year, down 28%. This year, up 33%. It's still not at its highs. That is not where you want to allocate capital right now. It's a large cap growth stock or fund. Stick with your targeted fund. Don't chase this return. All right, this is Invest Talk. Give me a call at 888 chart Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Fred giving you a call out of uh, Massachusetts. Wanted to get your opinion on a stock that I that I bought a few months ago, and it's Casella Waste Systems, ticker CWST. Not sure what to do with this thing. Just wondering your thoughts if it's time to maybe uh, take some profits. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, looking at Casella Waste Systems, mid cap name, about four point eight billion dollar market cap. A little bit of debt on its balance sheet, but nothing too extreme. So I have no issue with that. Return on equity right now is at about 5%. Now, the longer-term average, let me take a look here. It's kind of all over the place. It certainly was higher. It's kind of a slow grower. It's making $0.67 cents per share in 2017. It's supposed to make a $0.98 cents this year. That's down 11% from $1.10 last year, and then it's supposed to be $1.19 next year. But it's an $84 stock. So you're talking about a forward-looking multiple around the 75 to 80 range. That's pretty high for my liking. We have no debt or no dividend yield here. Uh, it just doesn't strike me as exciting, to, to be frank. It has no particular heft. Uh, I like the business. It's solid for everyone else out there. This is in the waste business. It is a solid waste removal company, and it looks like it operates both in the eastern and western parts of the United States, but most of it comes from the western region. So it serves recycling and collections, organics, landfills, special waste, as well as professional services. The business is fine, but I just nothing stands out to me. You go, okay, this is so amazing of a business. Cash flow is so amazing, or anything like that. I mean, free cash flow is only $100 million on a $5 billion market cap. Yeah, I would take profits on this. There's nothing that gets me jazzed up about it. All right, let's talk a little bit about the streaming wars. And in some ways, the streaming wars are coming down or back to bundling. And Apple and Paramount Global are in discussions to bundle their services. And this is another way for companies to reduce churn. Companies are increasing their price, which what, what that allows them to do is make it look like these bundles are a good deal. right? You raise prices of two services, you bundle them together, and maybe together they're forty. They're, they're typically forty dollars separate, but together they might be thirty-two dollars. Sounds like a good deal. But what it also does is it reduces churn because typically what happens if you subscribe to one, you're done watching that a show on that uh, platform or whatever. Maybe there's nothing else for you to watch. You can just go cancel that. 
But if you bundle them together, now you might find one of those something on one of those two platforms that you get into and you start watching for a while and you don't cancel the total subscription because you still want to utilize one of them. And so what Apple and Paramount are trying to do is reduce that churn. They've raised prices recently and their churn rate is about 7% as of October, higher than the industry average of about 5.7%. And this is becoming more and more common to uh, high-profile streaming services, Netflix and Max, they're bundling part of a deal with Verizon. And Warner Brothers CEO said they're open to bundling as well. And it's not just going to be bundles with other streaming services, but other, other types of services. For example, charter communications, traditional cable. When you are a cable provider with Charter, you can get access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. And even other types of, I guess, weird uh, bundles like grocery delivery service Instacart. You can get Peacock and Instacart. <laughs> Not really uh, what you would think would be something that would go together, but you can get Peacock streaming and Instacart Plus for 10 bucks a month. And so they're trying to pick up additional pennies. Remember, those each additional dollars that they're getting from every subscriber is going to the bottom line because their overhead costs are, are typically fairly fixed. And they're trying to reduce churn. So what started about started with unbundling from your traditional cable service is quickly becoming a bundling operation. And I think this trend is only going to continue. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Best Talk program. Stephen, I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And it's official. We've now surpassed the 57 million download mark since it all began, thanks to you, and we appreciate you for that. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.